We all want to feel better, be happier, and have more freedom. And there are endless resources at our fingertips. But wading through a sea of self-help books, podcasts, and workshops takes more time than anyone has. Except me. That's my job. I curate and translate the latest, most effective personal development wisdom to help you elevate your personal experience and improve the way you show up for others. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is Self-Helpful. Welcome everyone in this episode, Live Like You Are Dying to Really Live. I'm wrapping up my series on Jordan Grummet and his book, Taking Stock, a hospice doctor's advice on financial independence, building wealth, and living a regret-free life. After two discussions with Jordan and then another one with Tom Ziegler, uh, discussions also with some friends and some folks in my private community, I've been given a lot to consider. And as I went through my notes today, I really came to eight big points. Uh, lessons, if you will, though they're only truly lessons if I'm working to apply them. So I invite you to walk with me, if you will, and I'll talk with you through it. The Self-Helpful Podcast originated through the Zig Ziglar Corporation. If you're a coach or consultant and want to add credibility, clients, and impact to your business, go to Ziglar.com today. Following these sponsors who help make the show possible and provide great resources for your life, I bring you eight lessons I'm grappling with from Jordan Grummet and his book, Taking Stock, a hospice doctor's advice on financial independence, building wealth, and living a regret-free life. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. All right, so here's the eight lessons that I'm pondering. I can't say I've learned them yet. I'm working through them. I'm pondering, I'm grappling with them, I'm discussing, I'm trying to be present and aware of my own life to uh, work them out and benefit from them. So number one uh, from Jordan, beware the false stories that we live. Your uh, His dad, so Jordan Grummet's dad was a doctor. He died when Jordan was seven. Jordan says that he decided to become a doctor because he felt it was his fault. He's seven years old, his dad dies and he felt it was his fault. Who knows how we come up with the stories that we have in our lives. So he did and he decided because of that, he needs to become a doctor. That's what drove him on there. And this is so much a part of my book. What drives you is understanding what is it that drives us. And so often it's something that we don't understand or some faulty agreement that we made along the way. And that 
uh, is the trajectory of our life right now where you're living. It may not be your vocation, but if you look at the areas of life, like the Ziegler wheel of life, which you can look up and look at all those key areas, those seven areas, the ones that I go through in the values and habits shows, which, uh, which will, which we've done with Jordan, there are things driving us. Some of them we're aware of and we know why, and we agree with them. And often there's things that we think we know, you know, I'm making money. Why? Cause I want money. Well, why? Well, cause I want to pay for X. Why get down and get down and get down to the emotion. And so often we're not in agreement with that. And so again, looking at false stories, it's a continual thread topic that comes up in my shows with a lot of people in a lot of different topics that one tends to come up. And, uh, I don't think we can give more gravity to anything, understanding what we're doing and why, and realizing that a lot of us are living out stories that we don't really even agree with. They're not healthy and right. And we went after them. Number two is a piece of that. He then found himself in a job that didn't fit. So find a job that fits a vocation, a pursuit, a purpose. What is it? Does it actually fit you? Uh, Jordan found himself pursuing being a doctor, goes to medical school. And we all know the expense and the time to do that. And he comes out as a doc and realizes, I don't like this. And isn't that weird that we don't, in medical school or in any job format, in any college format, they say, I want to be an accountant. I want to be an architect. I want to be an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer, whatever, for them to say, okay, have you ever spent time in a law firm? to see what that looks like day in and day out. And also there's a lot of different varieties of lawyers. You can be in trial or you can be over here as a corporate lawyer and you're never in the courtroom, you know, you're not as much. Um, so many different things. And we don't look at what's the lifestyle going to be like, even if you find a job in an area that you do like, and you don't go and vet, yeah, what kind of work environment am I going to be in? Who am I going to be working with? What's the commute like? And some of those things that we often find out, you know, 90 days after the job, all the pay and the benefits and the title and whatever don't really matter because the working conditions are horrific or they just horrific for us. I could be in one that uh, you know, somebody loved somebody who's just extroverted and social and gets charged by that loves. I may appreciate it, but man, that stuff drains me. I can't handle it day in and day out. It's not nothing wrong with the job. It's just not a fitting environment. Anyways, finding a job that fits you is so key. And that came up in Jordan's discussion about people who are really looking at what matters to them. Number three, and this is really the biggie. I didn't do these in order. It was really is how I came to them. Number three with Jordan, you are living a life. So am I. It's highly about self-protection. We are living lives primarily wrapped around self-protection. And when a person, that's what he shares, when a person then is diagnosed with a terminal illness and death becomes a near future certainty, something remarkable happens. These are his words. The self-protective stories about identity, work, and money crumble, leaving them with clarity about who they are, what they love, and what really matters. They want to know what they want to be. What do they really value? They become free as there's no reason to hold up pretense, no need to protect. The focus shifts from fear or loss toward possibility of what can still be gained. And people focus on true desires for the first time after they've been given this near future certainty of death. And what he's calling us to is stop living right now that life that's really focused on self-protection where it's a spectrum and you may be very self-protective and you may not be as much, but you're on the spectrum. There is some piece of it that he's saying, if you were given that near uh, that, that future certainty of, of death coming up in six weeks, six months, whatever, 
that it would go away. And he's trying to say, let it go away now. And it may be near impossible without that reality, but we can come a little further. What if you can just make a 10% tick out of self-protection into possibility and what you truly desire? It's really the main premise of his book, Taking Stock. However, listen to that last line there. People focus on true desires for the first time. Brings me to number four, know your true desires. Because what he shared in the book is he came to this epiphany as he's a doctor realizing, man, this is not the path he wants to go, but also realizing he's been doing it for a while and he's got enough money. And this is where he got into his own financial pursuit. And he realized, man, I've got enough money. I don't really, I've got it invested. I don't have to work the rest of my life. I can do what I want. And lo and behold, what happened? He didn't know what he wanted. He didn't know what his desires were. And he wished that he had known that from day one. And a lot of people listen to this. They're going to hear this. You're going to hear the message and go, yeah, I, I don't know what my desires are. And I'm saying, please don't feel bad. You are in such good company. I'm still trying. I mean, and it also evolves. It also evolves. You don't just at 20 years old, hear this message and go, okay, I got it. Boom, done. I know what my desires are. They're going to change. Life changes, circumstances changes. They're going to change. So to the best that you can figure out what the best of your knowledge, what your desires are now. And that's what you wrap your life around. And you can play some games. I did this uh, probably coming on 20 years ago of going, okay, if we had 10 million bucks in the bank, 20 million, whatever it is for you, a million, if we had it in the bank, what would I do with my life? And I'll tell you, you would not just spend it pleasuring yourself on the golf course or watching movies or binging Netflix. You want purpose. You want to be productive. What would you do? What would you wrap your life around? What do you care about? What do you really desire? And even what do you desire for fun? What really inspires you and gives you joy? I know what I do. I'm going to go check out the mountain bike trails around the world, man. It gives me joy. It jazzes me. Go check out beaches. I love that. I'm so grateful. I know what those, some of those desires are, but I'll continue to learn. Number five, you are going to die. It may not be super soon, but you're going to die. It could be tomorrow. And I do feel like it's arrogant for us to, to believe that we're just going to be here. Now, you can't live your life like it's the last day because then you don't do laundry or wash your hair or whatever, pay the bills. Um, but we are going to die. And it's so interesting that Jordan says, you know, the fear of death makes us play it safe. And yet it's the, uh, it, it's the, the acknowledgement of death that makes us play it big. That's two sides of the spectrums. Fear of death makes us play it safe, small. Acknowledgement of death makes us play big. We are going to die. We don't know when. I, I know it's hard to conceive. We don't want to throw, it's not throwing caution to the wind, but it's an expansive and it's abundance perspective as opposed to scarcity. We are going to die. Could be next week, could be next year, could be five years, could be 20 years. I'm going to die. Um, loosen up. Number six, question, what is responsible? So he got to talking about Maslow's pyramid, Jordan did. And he talked about flattening it. Uh, and I'm interested in flipping it upside down. And ultimately what we're talking about is at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy, his pyramid, he says, we have physiological needs, air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, you know, reproduction. It's kind of like my 18 year old son and telling him, Hey, you just graduated school uh, from high school. Now you go, you know, figure out what you decide, what you want to invest a lot of money in and go to college or decide a career direction, go do that, make money so you can pay the rent, take care of yourself, uh, buy clothes, have food, shelter, all that. Kind of, that's what he's supposed to focus on. And we do that. 
And then we, you know, maybe we get married, we have kids, we get a mortgage, we go or whatever, and we stay there most of our lives. And if we're lucky, we work our way up to self-actualization at the top of Maslow's pyramid. And then we have somebody like Don Dapani, who I'm, a, I'm, I think comes up after this series where he's a monk who goes away for 10 years to be a monk, pretty much all self-actualization comes out and the rest of it figured itself out really quickly because he knew who he was, what he was about, what he wanted and why. And flattening it makes sense because while we're today, if we hear this message and go, okay, I need to go figure myself out, self-actualization, we still need to pay the bills. So that makes it sense to, to flatten it out. I wish that we could start off. And this is what I'm telling my 18 year old son now, man, just go do stuff. Even if I help you with some of the financial stuff, whatever, I'm not really telling him that don't tell him I said that, but in essence, I would do that just like I would, you know, people pay for people's college. How about if I pay for four years for him to go figure himself out, self-actualize, know who he is, what he's about, what he wants and why, then he will go about taking care of the physiological needs so much better and not just be stuck in them without the self-actualization the rest of his life. Number seven, time savers don't save us much time. Uh, we got into talking about that with Jordan and just the scope of life right now and, and where we're at in our culture. And with Tom Ziegler, who I talked about in part three on Jordan, talked about AI and all these things that are going to save us time, they don't and they, they never will. The only person who's going to save us time to do the important stuff in life is us. The next thing that comes along and it shaves an hour of your current work or chores or life duties or parenting or whatever off of your life, if, you, if it saves an hour right now, how much would you pay? Dude, you're going to gain an hour. It's not going to help us one bit. It's not going to help you one bit. You're just going to fill that time with something else. Just more work that you're doing now, more Netflix, more social media, more whatever. It's not going to save us time to do what really matters. The only thing that it is, is us uh, buckling down and doing what we have to do, L making a life change, just like you do. If you, have, if you had a kid at some point, you didn't make space for it. You just realize you have a kid and you just made it work. And that's what we got to do with the important things because uh None of the time savers will ever save us time. And number eight lesson, this came from Tom Ziegler and I keep chewing on it. At the end of the show we did, part three, talking about Jordan, he says, he's talking about, uh, you know, the deep things of life and he comes out with, you know, we don't have to understand the meaning of life to create meaning in life. If you listen to the show, you hear me go, holy smokes, dude, that's, that's, did you just write that? And he goes, oh yeah, I think I just did. Now, like a lot of things that we often come up with, we may find out, no, I, I heard something like that somewhere, you know, it's some piece of that is the culmination. Even if he truly wrote it, it's a culmination of what he's learned from so many other people. So other people always get credit, but man, I've never heard it that way and neither had he. I'll say it again. We don't have to understand the meaning of life to create meaning in life. Man, I love that. So many people who are waiting to figure things out so they can do something as opposed to, man, you can do something that matters to you and other people today. Ah, I just, it was, that was a dear statement to me. I, I loved, I loved hearing that. So there's eight lessons, eight lessons. I'm making them lessons. Otherwise it would be eight acknowledgements. So I don't want these things to be eight acknowledgement, acknowledgements. Uh, what a gift that I craft these shows and I go through here and have to think about what did I really, what did I really hear? Now, this is what I really cared about out of that. What, what hit me 
And these are the things that I want to now grapple with, ponder, be aware of, and work to apply to my life. So I got to have the discussion with Jordan. I got to have it with Tom Ziegler. I got, I've had it with friends, with my guys group that meets on Friday. I've had some of this discussion then with my private uh, community that most of you don't know about, but we'll let you know before long. And, uh, and now I'm here, I'm having it with you guys and I need to have it again. And I need to have it again for it to really stick and to become a lesson so I can come back and go, that was a lesson that I learned. Now it's a part of my life. We, me included, seldom do that. We just hear these things. We nod. It's inspiring. It's hopeful, which is great, has benefit, but to really take it and take it captive, uh, we don't generally do. Well, thanks to Jordan Grummet and his book, the message in his book, Taking Stock, a hospice doctor's advice on financial independence, building wealth and living a regret-free life. Uh, what a gift. I'm so grateful, Jordan, that you came on the show, that we had this discussion. I look forward to future discussions with you. Thanks also to Tom Ziegler, uh, who, if you don't know, that's Zig Ziegler's son, the man himself. Uh, Tom is Zig's son and CEO of Ziegler. And just so grateful he joined me to talk about this further in, this, in part three and bring more light uh, and, uh, and nuance and, gosh, uh, profoundness to the message for me and I hope for you. And then, folks, thank you all for tuning into the Self-Helpful Podcast, where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends.